Yahweh, Abba, Father, God, thank you for this time to share with my brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, I come to you quite early in the morning. It's almost 2.30. There's a stirring in my heart. And as I've shared with you before, that the devil will come and try to knock us off this path that we're on. My desire, my my purpose is to share the good news, gospel of Jesus Christ. I am about my father's business because that is my father's business, to give all an opportunity to be saved, rescued for salvation. However you want to put it, it's all the same thing. Jesus Christ came to sacrifice himself off the throne because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe. That means anybody. It doesn't mean the haves, over the have-nots. Whites over the blacks, blacks over the whites, Native Americans over the Asians, Mexicans over those two. It doesn't mean any of that. For God so loved the world, period. So I'm saying that to say this, that brothers and sisters, without God's love, without that uh, sacrifice that Jesus gave, without accepting him, without his love, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we would not readily be able to do that. And we have a confusion as you would, uh, as you will, would love. And I was very interesting because I don't know where it came from. It, yeah, I do too. The Holy Spirit was putting this in my mind. <clears throat> Some of you may or may not have heard of Stephen Winwood. Probably if there's any millennials listening to this, and don't take offense by that, okay? Don't don't get your don't get your hair and a knot over it, okay? It, it's a term, and it's not necessarily a derogatory term. It's one that has been twisted and turned to that. A millennial is just an age reference to an era. Um, if you are a millennial, you're just not as old as I am, and you don't know of certain things. So that's the only reference to that, okay? So don't get all in a twist over it. But there are even some my age that have not ever heard of Steve Winwood. The guy did a song a bunch of years ago. It's called Higher Love. If you've never heard the song, pull it up on YouTube or whatever and give it a listen. But the Holy Spirit was singing that song to me as I was laying down. And uh, he was also calling to me for some other things. But, uh, you know, the, the minions were, <laughs> the minions that come at night were working. And uh, the Holy Spirit was calling to me. So now I'm up doing my father's business and sharing this with you for a specific purpose. I'm going to read through these lyrics with you, and then I'm going to share some scriptures, because this is, if Steve Winwood is not a Christian, I've never met the guy, I don't know the guy, I don't know what his background is, I know that I like his music, and I really especially like this song, 
I never really gave it much thought before. It was just a, I just liked the sound to it. But now having done this and singing it over and over again to myself as I'm lying there in bed, my dogs thought I was wacko. Bring me higher love, love. Bring me higher love. Think about it. There must be a higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Let me ask you this. I'm going to stop right there at that part of the verse. When you look up, you see heaven, you see God, you see what he's made, you see the stars that are strewn about there or the clouds or whatever's up there, but you don't see into heaven because he hasn't permitted that. So, yeah, it's hidden up there. Heaven is beyond where we cannot see. It's a realm that we're not able to see with our eyes. So it's hidden up there. But he watches us all the time from his heavenly throne. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart and I'll look inside mine. Things look so bad everywhere in this whole world. What is fair? We walk the line and try to see falling behind and what could be. Oh, bring me a higher love. And he repeats that several more times. <clears throat> Where's that higher love? I keep thinking of, and the last stanza of the song, bring me a higher love and bring me love. Bring me a higher love. We need a higher love. Love, bring me a higher love. I keep thinking of. So a lot of people, <laughs> I think, got a total strange idea about that. And you know that there are several different loves that Jesus Christ talks about in the teaching of disciples. You have eros, which is the love between man and a woman, supposed to be man and woman. However, things have gone awry in this world. But eros love is that love between a man and a woman. Sexual, very physical. That is Eros love. Then you have filial love, which is brother, you know, like, hey, I love you. Good deal. Don't take my beer. I don't want to, you know, and I love you, man. I would never do that. That's something different. The higher love that I think that Mr. Winwood was calling for was that love which Jesus Christ was sharing with Peter on the beach. And if you remember all the things that had happened and gone on, and Jesus Christ asked him three times. Why do you think that he asked him three times? Because Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. He told him how much he loved him. He would follow him anywhere. Jesus just turned and told him, he said, 
Peter, before the cock crows three times in the morning, you are going to deny ever knowing me. Oh, that'll never happen. Well, it happened. And then right after Peter denied him the third time, the rooster crowed. Peter ran out of the city and found a lonely place, a dark, lonely place where no one would see him. He threw himself on the ground and he wept bitterly because he did exactly what he said he would not do. Jesus Christ was on the beach. They didn't even know who he was until they got up there and started talking to him a little bit. He's fixing breakfast. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? What Jesus Christ was trying to teach him on that morning was agape love, which is the love that we as persons of this earth. I've gotten to a point, brothers and sisters, where I don't even use the term people or human because (laughs) things that are being done to others and to animals and the thing, they're so, it's such an atrocity. That's not what a person should do. And some of these things are so barbaric and animalistic, it's not what a human should do. So I call those folks homo sapiens, which is what they are. It's a biological uh, term of forma. We're also part of the animal kingdom, biology 101. I learned that in sixth grade. Wow, that's a long time ago. But agape love is something that we can't pull out and do on our own. And I think that Steve Winwood was calling for that higher love, that agape love. He wasn't talking about eros, the love between a man and a woman, when he was singing about this. A lot of people thought that's what he was talking about. Oh yeah, let's get a higher love. That's not what he was singing about. He doesn't say that. He could have been talking about paleo love, the brotherly and sisterly love, one for another, to a higher point. But that higher love, I believe what he's talking about or singing about in this song is agape, agape, unconditional love. That you love a fellow human being without putting a condition on it. And I'm telling you, I'm sharing with you, brothers and sisters, I'm learning that more and more and more in in this prayer of Shabbat that I put before God to bless me so that I can bless others. And let me tell you, man, he is pulling, man and woman, sorry, I sometimes slip into that. That's the era I came from, by the way. Um, He's just pulling this, these things out of his heavenly treasury. And he bestows these blessings on me because I'm not having, I have and I am provided what I need 
God knows what my needs are. He talks about the ravens and the lilies of the field. The ravens don't sow, they don't harvest, and yet they don't want. And the lilies of the field are more finely arrayed and more beautiful and radiant than Solomon in all of his finery when he went parading around. And he was one of the wealthiest kings. And yet the lilies of the field are much fairer in beauty. So this agape love, this love that God has for us, this love, this higher love, for God so loved the world, for God so, that preposition is a really important word, for God so loved the world. How much did God love it? He so loved the world that the greatest gift, there is no greater gift no greater gift. And Jesus Christ declared this. Paul declared it as well. No greater gift has any man than to lay down his life for his brother. Jesus did that for us. Jesus Christ came to this earth as a man. Yes, he's the only begotten son of God, but he walked this earth as a man. He stubbed his toe. He might have, you know, as a craftsman when he was doing some of the things with the woodwork, might have whacked his thumb with a hammer. And everybody speculate, oh no, he never stumbled. He never this, he never had this. Where's it say that in the Bible? Jesus Christ was walking around this earth as a man. He was both the son of God and a man and came down here. If he was still in his heavenly state, first of all, we wouldn't have been able to be around him or the, the disciples and those that followed him couldn't be around him. They wouldn't have been able to put the nails in his hand and his feet and hang him on that cross the way they did. The Romans were very good at crucifixion. They took this down to a fine art science. Pardon me, I misstated that. It's almost three o'clock in the morning. Finite science. They took that down, oh man. And what they did to Jesus before they even put him on the cross. And there it just continued. He did that because of agape love. Agape love. Can we look at any of these brothers and sisters on the street that are homeless and look the way they do, sometimes act the way they do, and even smell the way they do? And then if it came time to do so, to block them from injury or maybe even death if you were in a position to be able to? Or would you just simply step aside and allow it to happen? Think about it. Jesus Christ talks about love in a couple places in here. I said I'd get to the scripture. Matthew 22, 
verse 37 and 38. He's talking to these hard-headed, arrogant members of the Sanhedrin, Pharisee tribe. Jesus was talking, and then this hotshot lawyer, part of the uh, Sadducee crowd, then one of these, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, trying to tempt him, and saying, Master, and you know, when I read about this and the way they talk, Sometimes I could just be there and I hear the absolute sarcasm in their voice and there it just it's it just oozes out of the from the corner of their mouths. It's just like a heavy spittle. I'm sorry, but they were they they didn't think Jesus Christ was a man. They were trying to bestow an honorific on him because that's what they did to teachers or what they were supposed to do. But they no more believe that Jesus Christ was their master as he was the son of God. They didn't believe that. They just, the only one that had any inkling and desired and then finally in conversing with Jesus Christ himself, Nicodemus from Jerusalem, a high honored member of the Pharisee. And he, he started thinking about these things even before he had an opportunity to talk to Jesus, and that spirit was tugging on his heart. So anyway, enough of that. I I just thought they were very arrogant and sarcastic when they spoke to Jesus Christ, who they didn't realize it in saying it, but he was their master. <laughs> anyway, back to the Bible reference. Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And notice how he did it, in the law. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now remember, brothers and sisters, I've talked about this before. Our mind is a heavy target of opportunity of the enemy. It doesn't matter what level of intellect that we might think we have. Therein, again, is the problem. We're thinking that we're so smart that doesn't make any difference. The weakest point of attack is the mind of mammon. That is the weakest point. Man, woman, it doesn't make any difference. That's the weakest point of attack. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wow. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It is such an important thing that we take heed to that very thing that Jesus Christ is talking about. It is so important. Now, also in the book of Luke, Luke 10, 27 
and 28. Jesus Christ talks again about love and explains to them. He's talking again to them. Is relating this thing here, Luke, about the lawyer. And he repeats it again. Said that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. Now, you might wonder and ponder a little bit about why there seems to be a differentiation in the wording and and uh, why it seems that Luke seems more the one to do that. Well, I've shared this with you before too. Most all of the disciples that followed Jesus or he called to follow him were not formally educated. Matthew, and if you notice when you read through the Gospels, is that wording from Matthew and Luke varies from the other disciples. Matthew was formally educated in reading. He was also taught numbers, very good with numbers, and he was a publican. He was a tax collector. Nobody liked him very much. Jesus loved him and called him. Matthew left his job without question. Luke was a physician. Luke was a physician, very detail-oriented, very perceptive of things that took place and happened, and he took note of that. Matthew took literal notes of what he was seeing and hearing, and he wrote it down. So the wording is different for these two gentlemen than it is from the other disciples. They were, they were indeed different. And uh, Thomas, Thomas also had some education with numbers. I'm not sure if he had formal education, but he was, uh, he was a businessman at one time and had numbers in his head, which means that he probably attended things there um, carefully. But Thomas also doubted himself. He had an issue with uh, self-doubt and things like that, which is why, in turn, he also doubted and he, you know, he had made a statement. <clears throat> and not on that day that Jesus reappeared back in the upper room, but he knew that Thomas had said that. And he told Thomas, he said, come here, put your hand in the wounds thrust your hand in my side and feel where the spear pierced me as I hung on the cross to be crucified because we love you so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ loved us that he did that even to the point that he took on so much of the sin, he took on all the sin of the world. At that time, when he cried out to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
He did that because God turned his back on Jesus for a moment. That's because God is so repulsed by sin. And at that moment, just before Jesus gave up the ghost and loving us so much, that he loved us so much that he hung on that cross, crucified, tortured before being hung and bled for our sakes. No gift. There's nothing brothers and sisters, that we can ever possibly do to buy our way into heaven. Nothing. Except to do the purpose that we were called to do. I have a purpose to be about my father's business to share the gospel, to share the truth, to share the word that is written by these men and women, breathed into them by God, and shared with us. This is our instruction manual. This is something I must share with whomever will listen. By the mighty hand of God in heaven above, my sovereign Lord God, who breathes into me every single day to continue on and mercifully allows me to draw those breaths repeatedly so that I can continue to walk and do that job that I signed a blank contract put my name on it right down there with a pen that God loaned to me to write that signature it was filled with the blood of my Lord Jesus Christ I signed it blank. I don't care what it says. I don't care what clause he decides to cross out and change. Doesn't matter. And brothers and sisters, let me share this with you as well. Yeah, darn well better be willing to write everything that you do, your plans and all that stuff. Write it down in pencil. God really does like to be neat in things that he does. So... Pencils are easy to erase. And when he has to correct your notes of what you have planned to do, and he might change that with his plans, he likes to erase. He doesn't want to have to scribble it out. But if you are so bold as to write it down in pen, then it can't be changed or you won't change it because you've decided it's going to be that way. And then something happens and God has to change those plans. Well, he's going to have to scribble through that pen. So write it down in pencil. Make it as temporary as possible. He likes to let you have things. He likes to have you to do things. But he also is sovereign Lord God. Okay, I'm going to jump again. We're going over here. And we're going to look at this uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan which is uh, <laughs> which is interesting because it comes after that blithering blabbering lawyer who tries to tempt 
Jesus Christ. Try to attempt Jesus and they thought they were so smart that they were trying to trap him by these questions. It's just funny to me the arrogance that people have and abound in. It's it's kind of funny. So he gave him right after that, he went into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that the rich man went down at, from Jerusalem and was heading down to Jericho. And everybody knows that the road to Jericho was not a good way to go. Thieves and uh, those that were lying in wait all the time. And he went down there and the thieves jumped on him and took off all his good clothing and beat him up pretty bad. And leaving him thinking that he was dead or would die very soon. There came down a priest from the temple, saw him. He made a he made a great big effort to get across and around the other side of the road to get by him. Then you had a Levite. Now, for those that you may remember the stories or may not, this is and there's nothing wrong with ignorance. It just all that means is a lack of of information. That's all that means. It's by no means synonymous with stupidity. That doesn't have any relevance to that. So Levites were the ones who were in charge of the raiment of the temple, as you will. They were the ones who cleaned it out, did the sweeping. They were uh, mucky-muck janitors. They wore some fancy stuff. There were certain members that could only go into certain parts of the temple. And that there was only one high priest that could go to the inter, the inner sanctum of the temple. And there was only one. And uh, the Pharisees couldn't even go in there. So these men were appointed. And the Levite also made an effort to go around this man. And then down the road comes a Samaritan. Who are the Samaritans? Well, Assyria tried to assimilate themselves into uh, the nation of Israel, intermarrying, and and, uh, the Jewish people got uppity about it because there are false religions and fake gods and tried to intermarry with the members of the nation, Israeli nation, and, you know, they did some of those, and they just, they looked down on the Samaritans. Just, <laughs> it's so much like everything. There's nothing different from then to now. It's only a different era. It's the same way today. So it's kind of funny to me when people speak to the relevance of the Bible. The Bible's got to be rewritten so it's more relevant. Excuse me. The Bible is as relevant today as it was then when it was written. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and Omega, the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. Lord God Sovereign. The Bible doesn't need to be rewritten. Man's mindset needs to become more relevant and in line with the Bible so that we become more relevant to what the Bible is trying to teach us to do. If we follow the relevance of the Bible, there wouldn't be all of this going on now. Women and children and those who declare the faith of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would not be getting their heads lopped off in these other countries. 
They wouldn't be executed. They wouldn't be martyred for his name's sake. They wouldn't be sitting in internment camps in the north of China and Korea. They wouldn't have their churches and their houses burned and swastikas painted all over them. And this country, America, if we follow more in line with the relevance of the Bible and got our mindset to be that, the world would not be such as it is. This country wouldn't be in the state it's in and we would still be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. One nation under God. Indivisible means that we can't be pulled apart because we're brothers and sisters. We take care of each other. Ha! I'm sorry, but that's being proven not to be so. But the Samaritan that came down that road was the only one, the only one that stopped, took off his cloak, laid it across his uh, his uh, pony, and helped the man on there. But before that, he nursed the man's wounds. He poured oil and wine into his wounds to help soothe them and to put out any germs and dirt. A Samaritan did that for this man. Took him to an inn and told and stayed there the night with him, but had to go on his way and to attend to his personal business. And he left money with the innkeeper. He said, you take care of him. You make sure that he's taken care of. And if you spend more than what I just gave you, when I come back, I will give you more. And he promised that innkeeper that he'd take care of business. See, in those days when they were told things like that, didn't have to sign a reference note or have some kind of signature on anything. They just took your word for it because honorable men did that sort of thing. And that's the way they did business. The only one that would do that was a Samaritan. So now Jesus Christ has a question for him. Which of the three, uh, he's throwing a question back at this Pharisee, this lawyer, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go do thou likewise. And that's all it is, brothers and sisters. This man, this came from Samaria, who was a Samaritan, was coming down after the priest and Levite from his own people, walked around him and wouldn't hurt him. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Compassion. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was full of compassion. He had so much compassion that it flooded out of his pores. When he called the disciples, he didn't have to call and beg them or anything. He just looked at them and he had that look. They knew that something was about him, that not only the authority that he exuded, but this compassion in his heart came, it just flowed out of him and it was like an incense around him. They could smell this and they saw this in his face. They went. They went. 
compassion. And unlike some of the words that I'm hearing some of these preachers using this scripture out of context and out of biblical reference and trying to tell people that they should do certain things because of this and that Jesus Christ would recommend it. I rebuke that. I rebuke those statements because it's unbiblical and it's totally contrary to the teaching and making an assumption that Jesus Christ would do something that is so contrary to Bible teaching is absolutely ridiculous. But here's the deal. I can't go get mad about it, and I don't want to throw judgment at their way. It's hard not to because I'm tempted to do so. But here's the deal. There's a higher judge than any in this world. There is a higher judge. There is a higher love And that's what we have to do. Brothers and sisters, believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the Father, sovereign over everything, and that the judgment is His. He does not need us to apologize for Him. He doesn't need us to protect Him. God handles all that stuff pretty good. Yeah, He does. I mean, you know, a guy that can put his might to work and part the Red Sea so that the children of Israel, by the hundreds and thousands that came out of Egypt, could walk across with dry feet, who could hang a pillar of fire at nighttime to protect them, and could hang a pillar of cloud in front of them that would lead them. So all they had to do was look up and they see this thing going up. Yeah, my God did all that stuff. My God pushed the mountains up. My God holds the might of the sea back. My God hung the stars and the moons. The planets that hang out there are by his will. God made all things and by all things that have him in them, by him they consist. Not merely exist, brothers and sisters, but they consist because he says so. Brothers and sisters, I have gone a while on this. I love you all. I do. I do. And seek that higher love. Seek God's face. Seek Father in all things. Stay in the word and look for those things. And don't worry about things that you think that you might need. God knows what we need. And he provides. He provides me (laughs) so mightily. Brothers and sisters, have a good morning and good rest of the day. Got to go. Yahweh, thank you for this day and this word, the time to share. And I pray that the words that I share, your words, your truth, your light, are a guidance and encouragement and a blessing to my brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us and Holy Spirit that you come teach and guide us. Yahweh aman, Yahshua aman, parakitos aman. All praiseworthy. Brothers and sisters, and it continues more on this thing called love. You know, we... 
find it very difficult sometimes to love one another, but I'm telling you that it's much deeper than what you realize because without God's love first, we wouldn't even have the ability to love anyone because I shared with you before the eros, palatial love, and then, of course, there's the agape love, which is God's love, unconditional love. We have conditions that we set on how we share love with one another on this planet. We live in a conditional world, and we do not want to share with others unless they first share with us. And sometimes I, can, I hear children that will do this as, a, as they learn again. I told you that they have no guile. As smaller children, probably just toddlers or even before they learn speech, they're just willing to give anything. You know, when they were first learning to walk around, if you have any children, what did they want to do? And they're sitting there eating, they reach their hand out and they try to share. They try to give. And then as they get older and they witness and learn other things, and then uh, mom or dad might say, hey, share with your brother. And then the retort would be, well, they didn't give me any. And therein lies the issue. They're learning the ways of the world. And the word tells us to make sure that we bring our children up in the way that they ought to be. And that means that we have a grave responsibility. And I think that firstly, above all else, should be love. And there are things that we do that the devil wants to keep us trapped in. And this is the thing that I rebuke quite often because I've shared with you already. Had I been the man that God intended me to be, I'd still be with my wife. We'd have been a family and had a whole bunch of children. And then uh, my son wouldn't be at enmity with me and holding on and bound by his resentment and anger and all these other things that I am witness to. But I'm not judging him for that. I pray over him for that because that is what he feels because I believe it isn't really anything that goes, but it's that I was not there. But I can't live in regret because here's the deal about that. And it might seem like a harsh reality, but if we live that way and we live the way the devil wants us to be, we will not continue drawing closer to God. We have to rely on prayer. We have to rely on faith. We have to rely on the love of God and praying over those situations and trust and have faith and let it go. Because if we live in uh, regret, we live in resentment, and we live that way, we will be bound by chains and we will be sinking in the mire and it comes deeper and deeper and deeper and we can't wiggle free and we can't get out. The only thing that we can do for that is rely on his love and pour that love out and continue to love and have faith. That's the import of this. It's very important that we do this. We find it very difficult and uh, in learning 
to love God's way, we walk in such a, such a mystery. It's such a mystery how that goes. But that's because we, in our finite minds, are trying to figure out God's love, that agape love, that higher love that I shared with you before that Steve Winwood sings about. He's not singing about eros or palatial love. He's singing about agape love. Show me a higher love. I will search my heart and you search yours because that's what we are supposed to do. And then he continues his song. I shared the lyrics with you before. First John 4.10, that begins our journey and actually in God's love. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. The redeemer, the savior, the cleanser, the washer, the baptizer of the bloodbath. And that bloodbath is not a warlike statement. That's a the bloodbath of redemption and forgiveness and cleansing us of our sinful ways in that we learn to love that agape love. And that's where it starts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that little phrase is so, and there I use it again. How, how is that? That one two-letter little word, so important, so loved the world. I'm so full. It is an emphasis on that. God so loved this world that Jesus Christ came and sacrificed himself for us in that. Wow, that's, ah, man. In verse 11 of 1 John, Beloved, if God loved us, we ought also to have love one for another. And that's how we are to be and why we must be that way. God loved us first. His love was so profound and so deep. The depths of his love are unfathomable. We can't even measure or really truthfully express we can repeat and say, yeah, Jesus came and died for us because he loved us so much. But God's love continues to pour out on us through our life, through our day. I mean, brothers and sisters, his love is so deep. Every single day we are graced by what we don't deserve because of his love. And the mercy of his love is that we don't get from God what we do deserve. That makes sense to y'all? Makes perfect sense to me. Because we don't deserve what God gives to us. That's his grace, his love for us. What we do deserve, quite honestly, is exactly what happened in the days of Noah. But in the Bible, it tells us that that is exactly why Jesus Christ came and died for us because he didn't want to do that yet again. He didn't want to do that. He loves the world. He so loves the world. And this is so deep. It must be shared. It must be spoken of 
and it's so difficult to understand, but you have to let go of it with the finite mind that we have. And don't try to understand it or comprehend it. Just learn about it. Seek his face in the word daily. And I tell you that, brothers and sisters, I keep reminding you. Seek his face. Try the spirit and go there. Stay in the word of God. Romans 12, 13 tells me that I have to think of others well before I think of myself. This is what we're told that we have to do. We have to do that because it's much more important. And I have to act that way. And in part, in 12, 13, I'm going to read that in part to you. Let me get there. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry. I misread my own writing. I had to squiggle there and I thought it was 12, 13. It's 12, 3, verse 3. And I'll tell you that what is Paul is talking to the Church of Rome about is that what is happening a lot and it happens today. In part, I read that you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So that we're not to think of ourselves more highly than someone else. God distributes his love and his grace and his mercy to everyone. And we have no right to think of ourselves higher or better than anyone else. Sorry for that little bit of confusion there. Like I said, I got a squiggle and I misread that. So it's important that we treat one another that way. This is the problem that the Pharisees had. The Sadducees, the the seat of judges and the Sanhedrin. And here's the interesting thing that those that they had been established so that they would be over everyone else and pretty much to the way judges do now is their interpretation of laws for their purpose and their gain. Um, it wasn't so much for everyone. And then they claimed the scripture to be the empowerment for that. Well, interesting that the scripture tells us that we're to do pretty much the opposite. We have to follow the laws that are in the Bible, but you remember that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to change the way that it's followed and that the veil that used to separate man from God was torn because that was the old law, is that only the high priests and only the uh, Pharisees could talk to God for the people. And then they got caught up in that high and mightiness and they were starting to charge the people to come in with an appropriate uh, uh, sacrifice and they had to have a certain kind of money to get in which is why Jesus Christ got very ticked off on that day went into the temple and tossed everything over he took a scourge 
which um, you may or may not know what it is or what it looks like. It's uh, pretty much like the cat of nine tails. It's got leaded beads and things on it, and he chased them out of the temple. They used to use it to to uh, get the animals to move along and to kind of guide, but he snatched one up and he started beating them out of the temple. Why did he do that? Because he told them, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And then, of course, this is one of the issues that the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees and the Sanhedrin had because they were making money off of this. This is why they had such a, a position and they thought that their position of authority was higher and they were looking to themselves for taking care of things instead of God. And what they would do is the people would bring their change that they were going to offer for their... Uh, to, for their offering in the church house, in the temple, and then they had to go to the table and get an exchange in that money so that they would give them temple money and charge them a fee for taking their money, which was the offering to God anyway. And they did the same thing with the sacrifice. The people brought their sacrifice. They would be told that they could only have a certain sacrifice for them to bring to offer to God and that it had to be a temple sacrifice and then they would charge them a fee for that exchange. Yeah, that really that really ticked Jesus off because in his father's house it was to be about my father's business, not about your business. And that upset him. The one and only time in the Bible that physicality took place. And Jesus was always compassionate and caring. But when they were robbing, not only from his father, but from the people at the same time that he came to serve them, and they were not serving others, they were serving themselves. So this was not a good thing. And I suspect, I don't know because I wasn't there, but don't see anything written about it. But when he was crucified and he went and wrested the keys from Satan, the keys of death and darkness and, and that shadow that remained there, that is no longer there, it said he wrestled it. That doesn't mean that he wrestled with the devil. Wrestled, it just means he reached out and snatched him with authority and force and just took him from him. And of course, because of his authority, the enemy had just had to let go. His authority is very powerful, and he has given us authority over the serpents and the scorpions. That we have to remember that when it talks about the full armor of God and that we carry the sword of truth, there's there's something I want to illustrate here, if I may, that that the Bible is logos. That's the armory. And in that armory, it contains many swords of truth. The harema. We may not be able to carry the Bible around with us all the time. Of course, now, you know, people carry this little electronic device in it and you can look the Bible up. Myself, I like the sound of pages turning. I like to feel the Bible. I like to read the Word. 
And here's something that I'm going to share with you too that I do. Some of you might think is a little goofy and a little oddball. I don't care. But sometimes if I feel down and I close my eyes and I just open the Bible up and I put my face in it and I push the, the side of the leaves back up to my face. Oh my goodness. If I'm feeling down in that and I close my eyes, I can remember if I fell down and got hurt and my father and my mother would, would stand me up and then they would put a hand on each of my cheeks and look, right, look me right straight in the eye and smile and say, that's okay. My father, it's okay, buddy, I got you. Or my mom, it's okay, baby, I love you. It's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. And when times are troubling, I do the same thing with my Bible. Except that when my eyes are closed and I'm looking, I see Abba, Yahweh, Father God looking in my eyes and he's smiling and he's telling me, it's going to be okay. I'm here. I'm here for you. Brothers and sisters, God tells us that all the time because of his love is so deep and profound. In John 13, 35, it's, um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here because I have something else to say when it talks about uh, in Romans 12, 3. Here's the thing that, that uh, I'm going to share with you, and, and don't get it wrong. you got to listen to what I'm saying. Don't misconstrue and try to put different words in there. You have to listen. These self-help groups and all these things, yeah, they're okay. But the problem is that many people, even Christians or those that claim to be Christians, go to them and rely on them for their full, complete answer and how they should be handling life. Wrong answer. You can go and get guidance, and preferably that you, remember I told you, try the Spirit. You can try the Spirit there as well. If it's not an appropriate place for you to be for appropriate guidance and truth, then the Holy Spirit will guide you away. But you have to listen to that. You have to lean in for it, and you have to pay attention. Why self-help groups? I shared with you before, in Hebrews, there is a whole list of people that try to do it themselves outside of the faith and outside of walking and listening to what God had directed them to do. Their lives turned chaotic for a short time. Don't rely on them for only what you should do. Guidance is good. They have some good people that share good guidance policies and things like that. But it's not self-help. If you take God out of the center of the equation and put self in there, that is like Nebuchadnezzar who was taken down. You need to read Daniel. And if you're not familiar, there was the time that Nebuchadnezzar was actually had a problem with a vision. Daniel went and interpreted the vision for him. And as soon as he said the last word, boom, it happened. Nebuchadnezzar was taken down to his knees like an animal. 
He was walking around thinking about how mighty he was and how I did this and I did that. And look what I did. And bam, to his hands and knees, he turned into an animal. And he was likened unto a wolf. And he went out in the fields and he was eating grass and just carrying on. And it was his self-worth, his self his his vaunting himself higher. This is what it talks about here. Not to think of self more highly than someone else. And you have those individuals that we look at in a worldly fashion that have made it and done all this and they claim that they did it on their own. Well, let me tell you this about that. Nothing is done on our own. The mountain high is because God helped us get there. Yeah, appearances are deceiving. Trust me in that. So here's the other thing in John 13, 35. Jesus Christ shares that thing about love again. And he tells them that people will know by how you act. Not in so much of what you're saying. So pretty much in our terminology, Jesus was telling them to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. You can't just tell them, you got to show them. And there there was a song some years ago, they will know we are Christians by our love. By our love, they will know we are Christians. Not by what we say, but how we act. People watch Christians all the time. We are under a microscope. Look how those Christians are acting. And that church that goes and they actually become very aggressive and uh, because of their interpretation of what the word of God tells them. So they go and primarily they target uh, funeral services of veterans And they actually get aggressive, pushy, and screaming, and hollering. And I was paying attention to one news release, and I actually heard immense... (laughs) There were profanities coming out of these, quote-unquote, Christians' mouths. I was like, my goodness. So by this, they will know that you are Christians. By your love, they will know. Is that love? Was that love? No, it's not. They are so contrary to the teaching of the Bible and the word of God. They're not paying attention. So their their pastor, their whoever he is, I can't call him a pastor because that's not pastoral teaching. That's contrary to the word. That person, man or woman, is going to have to explain why they are teaching false doctrine to their people. And the person that, that they will have to explain to, of course, is God Almighty. And the Bible says it would be better that they had not known the word. That means that God is probably not really happy with them. So in Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39... Jesus is yet again beset by the Pharisees and those that think that they're so high and mighty to him and that he's, um, he was trying to teach them and try to share. And yet here comes this lawyer trying to snare Jesus Christ again 
and think that they were so smart in in getting with Jesus that that they were going to trap him. And, you know, he just told them, he said, you know, you have to understand what is being said. You have to listen to the word. And in that word, Jesus talks to them and is trying to teach them, but they're not listening. And when he was talking and Jesus was trying to teach and he's talking about uh, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and not the God, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then they started arguing about the resurrection, this stuff back and forth, because of course they knew much more than the son of God about what he had dominion over. They of course knew much more. And what they tried to do is trap him again. Here comes a lawyer with his little smug attitude. Well, master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, of course, Jesus turned it right back. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So, Love, that higher love that we talked about and I shared about with you, this is that higher love that I'm talking about, is that through God, we can do this very thing. We can love that way. We have to learn how to do it. And we have to have that mindset with all thy soul, with all thy might, and with all thy mind. So it's a mindset thing. We have to be willing to adjust that mindset so that it's about God's love and not ourselves. And in Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it is, hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you. And it goes on. Down uh, in the final eyes, he talks about how anybody can say hello to those they love or give those they care about a hug, but to do so to someone that you're at enmity with and care for them. Now, here's, here's where we have to be a little cautious in this. In that when he's talking about to bless them, we don't use the words lightly that are taught in the Bible. And when somebody comes at us and with uh, persecution intent and downplaying us, making fun of us uh, as Christians and all that, blessing them through praying for them, not judging them, and not putting them down for their attitude to that. But you don't use a blessing of God as a cursory retort. Yeah, yeah. You don't do it like that. You don't say, yeah, well, God bless you too. And on your way, because that is not using 
what the Bible teaches and what the Bible taught, that's showing very little concern and respect for what God teaches. That's not the intent and purpose of the word. So using it as a curse, which is exactly what a person does when they do that, when they turn and say, yeah, well, God bless you too. It's not meant as a blessing. It's meant as a cursing to them. And that's not what you do. You don't call the blood of Jesus down on someone as a curse. I've actually had that done to me before. Well, guess what happens? It's like throwing that at a mirror and the reflection comes back and not such nice things happen. If you intend to use what God has provided for good as a wickedness, that's the same exact thing that the minions of the enemy do. Okay, so don't fall into that. Don't fall into it. To bless them, you can bless somebody by praying over them. They won't even necessarily know you're praying over them. But as it talks about heaping coals on their head by treating them justly, treating them with compassion and caring, no matter, you know, they might be so angry that they're dribbling spittle down their face and you still speak kindly to them and don't retort. Now, as a prior Marine, and as a warrior class individual and having to fight and growing up and things being raised that way, I have a tendency to lean toward the worldly retort and that I want to be argumentative or, but I pray the Holy Spirit. And there's, man, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is so great and so worthy of praises and and I have learned in my walk coming closer and closer to God as it has become and that I pray the spirit because the spirit fights my battles I don't have to fight these battles I don't have to do anything I don't have to lift a finger I don't have to raise my voice I have learned and sometimes I have to hold and clench my jaw because sometimes there are really some pretty shag nasty individuals out there. Let me share that with you. Of course, I don't have to because, as they say, I'm preaching to the choir. You already know that. But just be compassionate. And they get so agitated. I've had them get so agitated they didn't know how to respond. They just start shaking and they walk off. And then as they're walking down the street, they're cussing. And you can hear them actually walking away. And they're and people are looking at them oddly. So they're showing themselves to be the jackass in doing that. So there's nothing that has to be said or done to them. But pray for them because that's what needs to be done. And that is the blessing. Don't use God's words and what God tries to teach us in the Bible as a curse on that person. That is not appropriate. It is not biblical and it's not what we are supposed to do with his word. We must uphold the word of God and hold it in esteem for what it is meant for us. And it's the most difficult for us to understand. And those people that want to do harmful things to us, uh, when they're wicked, that we don't have to do or try a one-upmanship to them. That's not necessarily. Don't take the Spirit lightly and take for granted what is given 
or what's intended for us. So, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that this is all part of that thing that we've already talked about, that higher love transition that we have to be into. That higher love teaches that we should love our enemies, that we should love others, and that we should put others above our own need. And that's that higher love. Give me that higher love. I look for that higher love. Have a great day, brothers and sisters. Be blessed in this day.